Blog Talk Radio. Call Talk for July 19th, 2012. Today's topic is the meaning of life in the call center, that is, rethinking agent satisfaction. Now, if you're listening live, we want to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. It's real easy. Here's how you can do it. You can email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com, and that's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Or if you're listening on the phone or even close to one, it's easy to call in. Here's the phone number. I'll give you a second to grab a pin. But the phone number to call in for questions is 347-857-3117. And then make sure to press the number 1 on your phone to let me know you have a question, and I'll get you in. Really quick again, here's the number, 347-857-3117. And again, press that one, and I'll know that you want to go live on the air, and we'll talk and uh, get you in for a question. Now, we're so serious about wanting people to be involved in the show, like yourselves, that we are going to give the first person that asks a live question on the phone for today's show a free benchmarking survey from Benchmark Portal, and that's a $1,500 value for that series. So please, if you have some questions, bring them on. Now, I want to remind everyone that if you are unable to make our live shows, don't worry about it. We've got a lot of other great shows in our archive, and they're available to listen to at any time of the day or night. All you have to do is go to the website at benchmarkportal.com and click on Call Talk, and you'll find a list of all the great shows we've already done. But I promise, today is going to be one of the best. And now, let me introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Well, thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Uh, today's topic, as Brian mentioned, is the meaning of life in the call center, rethinking agent satisfaction. And, and for this, we brought in a real expert on the topic, uh, Professor Teresa Amabile. Uh, Teresa is the Edsel Bryant Ford Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School, as well as a Director of Research. Her research investigates how life inside organizations can influence people and their performance. She's the co-author of books, uh, the books the, the Progress Principle, Creativity in Context, and Growing Up Creative, as well as over 150 scholarly papers, chapters, case studies, and presentations. She's presented her theories, research results, and practical implications to various groups in business and government education, as well as Google, Pixar, Intel, TED Atlanta, Procter & Gamble, and others. In fact, I, I recommend her TED presentation, which you can find on YouTube. Teresa graduated from Canisius College in Buffalo, New York, and holds a Ph.D. in psychology from Stanford University. And I read the progress principle uh, when it was hot off the press exactly a year ago, and it was so, I was so excited by the ideas in it, and particularly the in-depth research methodology she used. Uh, this was 14 years' worth of labor of love that, that uh, she and her co-author, Uh, Stephen Kramer put into it. Uh, I contacted her. We met at the end of August last year and again a few months later to discuss research possibilities. And uh, she has a lot of interesting and useful information for our sector. So it's my pleasure to welcome Professor Teresa Amabile. Bruce, it's a thrill to be with you. I've been looking forward to this for quite a while. 
Okay, great. Well, Teresa, to, to kick things off, can you tell our listeners how you came to focus on what you call inner work life? Sure, I'd love to. First of all, let me say what I mean by inner work life. It is really what goes on inside people's hearts and minds at work. So so think of the call center agent, that person sitting there taking those calls coming in or making those outbound calls. That person every day, in fact, every moment has emotions, perceptions, and motivations. And it's the combinations of those those psychological states that we call inner work life. So that agent is experiencing emotions. They may be mild, they may be intense, they may be positive or negative. Uh, they may feel happy, they may feel proud, uh, frustrated, um, annoyed, sad about something. So those emotions are a key component of inner work life. Another component is perception, and that is just the agent's thoughts, impressions, judgments about what's going on around them and what it means. So it's their it's their impressions of the organization they work for, their coworkers, their supervisor, uh, the work that they're doing. It's even their perceptions of themselves. So those perceptions are the second key component of inner work life. And the third key component is motivation. That's the agent's drive to do what she's doing and in the way that she's doing it. Um, motivation can take a couple of different forms. We're particularly interested in intrinsic motivation because that tends to lead to the most engaged and and deep level work that people can do. And intrinsic motivation just means doing something because you're interested in it, you're excited by it, you're you are feeling involved in it, you enjoy it, you feel that it has some meaning, some real purpose that you mm-hmm. care about. There's also extrinsic motivation, which is doing something in order to get that that paycheck, in order to get a bonus maybe, in order to get a good performance review. Extrinsic motivation of course does enter in also. So it's all those things together that we call inner work life. And I wanted to study this along with my colleagues and my primary co-author, as you mentioned, Stephen Kramer, who's also my husband. You can ask me about that later on if you want, Bruce. Um, I wanted to study inner work life because as a psychologist, I'm really interested in what goes on. As people are working, what goes on inside their, their, their minds, what goes on inside their, their hearts, their emotions, whether that affects their performance and what affects inner work life. So that was, that was really what drove me. Maybe I'm just nosy, but I am a psychologist. <laughs> Steve is a psychologist. When our daughter was little, she told people, my parents are psychologists, not, but not the kind who help people. So I'm afraid I can't help your listeners with their neuroses today, but I am the kind who who does research and who who studies essentially what makes people happy, motivated, productive, and creative at work. Well, you know, and I think that is so important. And uh, really in our our sector there is a a lot of materials, a lot of – sort of things that have been written about motivating agents and uh, what it is that makes for a really good call center in that sense. But there's, in my my opinion, a dearth of really uh, in-depth research. And the methodology that you used, which included uh, a lot of individual diaries from people, I think really 
brings out uh, the kind of uh, intrinsic, extrinsic, all the all the motivations, because people will obviously uh, confess those things, if I can put it that way, in uh, using the methodology that you use for the uh, the progress principle. So I encourage everybody to to look at that because there's so much that can be learned from it. But really, our sector, which is uh, involves people who are in continual contact with others and who are continually dealing with emotions, their own and others, it's really important that we as researchers and as managers understand what that means to them. So uh, can you explain to us what, uh, describe the research that you did and, and, and your main findings? Sure, I'd be happy to. We we use the term inner work life because it's mostly hidden. It's something that supervisors, managers, and even coworkers don't often see. Uh, that's because in most organizations we have been trained to hide our, our 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 deepest thoughts and feelings and to keep sort of a professional mask on our faces most of the time. So managers really don't know about inner work life and and even coworkers don't, especially managers don't know about it if, if it's negative, um if there's if there's something going awry. Um so we decided we needed some really special method for trying to find out what people's inner work lives were like. That's how we hit on the diary method. We decided that if we could if we could gain the trust of of people working inside organizations and ask them to fill out a daily diary form that we would send them electronically every day, ask them to spend five minutes filling it out at the end of the day about their day, send it back to us directly at the Harvard computer, without their managers, anyone in their company being able to see that, we thought we might be able to really get at those those innermost thoughts and feelings. And uh, it turned out that we were successful with this. We ended up with nearly two, with, with actually 238 professionals working inside seven different companies in three different industries. And these people were working in project teams, 26 project teams. We ended up with that many people involved in this study. Not all at once. We, we studied these, these teams sequentially because it would have been way too much to try to collect diaries from everyone all at once. So we collected data over a period of years. But we asked these people to send us these diaries every day, Monday through Friday, during the entire time that they were working on an important project in their company. And we identified the projects. We identified the teams on average, people were sending us these diaries every day for about four to five months. So we ended up with a treasure trove of nearly 12,000 daily diaries. And those diaries had information on emotions, perceptions, and motivations because we asked specific questions about that in the diary form. The most interesting piece of it, though, was where we asked people to just write a little bit about their day. We said, briefly describe one event that occurred today that stands out in your mind. It can be anything at all as long as it's relevant to the work or the project. And it was in analyzing those stories that people told us and connecting them to inner work life, which we also got from the diaries, and then connecting all of that to separate performance measures we got on these people. It was through that that we made our main discoveries. And I'd love to tell you about the two main Findings, but let me see, uh, Bruce, if you have any questions, anything else that you want me to clarify about the method. 
No, I think that uh, that was a great description, and uh, I'm glad you added that for most part they were, uh, you know, three to six months, uh, four, or was it three or four months? Because uh, people yeah, may have had the idea. Four or five months on Four or five average. months, okay. Yes. Now, I should say that we did not study call centers um, right. in this research. So, you know, that's one of the things we're excited about doing right now. We're we're gearing up to actually do some research, ideally inside call centers, to look at specifically at the inner work life of agents and what mm-hmm. can be done to, to improve that. But we think we got some pretty generalizable findings because it didn't seem to depend what industry people were in. These findings that we got held across the different industries and the different companies that we studied, the first main finding we call the inner work life effect. And that is that inner work life drives performance. So we found, Bruce, that on those days when people were feeling the most positive inner work life, that is the most pleasant emotions, the strongest intrinsic motivation to dig into their work, and the most positive perceptions of their organization and their coworkers and their bosses on those days of really high positive inner work life, those were the days when people were most likely to be productive in their work, creative in their work. They were most likely to show deep commitment to what they were doing, to really show up, be there, get the work done, and they were most likely to be good colleagues to each other. So on Mm -hmm. four performance dimensions, we found that positive inner work life led to more positive outcomes. Unfortunately, when inner work life was poorer, all of those performance indicators were poor. Mm-hmm. So that that's a that's a very important finding. Inner work life drives performance. Okay. The second main finding we got when we backed up and said, okay, if inner work life is so important for performance, what drives inner work life? That's when we discovered the progress principle. We went in and looked at people's very best inner work life days to see what was actually going on. What did they talk about in their stories of the day? And of all of the events that they described, and there were thousands of them, of all the events they described, the single most prominent, the single most important was simply making progress in work they cared about. So as long as the work was something that people cared about, they felt that they were contributing something with their work, making any kind of progress at all in the work could significantly boost inner work life, even if the progress looked like a small step forward. Mm -hmm. You know, I think this is very important because uh, on the face of it, some people will say, and I've talked to people about this, who've said, well, you know, that's clear, that's obvious. But when you have talked, and when I have talked to call center managers about what they think the major motivators are for their call center agents, I never hear uh, their sense of progress in the work that they do. And I think you found the same thing. Is that correct in uh, talking yes. with managers? Yes, and, and it's not just managers of call centers. In fact, after Steve and I discovered the progress principle, we, we you know, when we told it to people, they would often say, well, yeah, you know, that makes sense. Actually, that's kind of obvious. And we wondered, all right, is it really obvious to managers? Because I'll tell you something, we didn't see a lot of evidence in our in our research that managers were, were really paying attention to progress, that they seemed to think that it was very important to support people in making progress every day. 
So we sent a survey around to almost 700 managers in a wide variety of companies, wide variety of industries around the world. And we gave them a list of five employee motivators. And we simply asked them to rank them in terms of how important they thought these motivators were. Now, making progress in the work was was one of those five. And the others were, were things that people normally think of as motivators, like incentives and recognition. We found that those managers did not rank progress number one, even though we know from our research it was number one by a mile, by a lot it was number one. They didn't rank it number one. In fact, they ranked it last, last Uh out of all five motivators. And only 5% of these managers recognized that progress was the number one motivator. So it's not obvious in what managers say about motivation, and it's really not obvious in what they did because of the seven companies we studied, there was only one that had managers up and down the line who consistently supported progress. Okay. And I think I think the reason is that, that managers just think that, well, making progress in the work, that's just what people do. Of course that's what they do. It's not mm-hmm. something that I as a manager need to worry about. They need to think about it a lot. They don't understand how important even small wins can be. That's the term that we use for, for small steps forward that can that can really have a a really positive effect on inner work life. Those small wins can make a huge difference. Okay, and I think this is where, in fact, this research and uh, this show will hopefully help our listeners in, in a really substantial way to rethink, uh, in part at least, the way that they manage currently. Because uh, if you put in your mind that in every interaction, in the way you approach your management style, et cetera, that it's a sense of progress that's important rather than simply the attaboy or the incentive or whatever it happens to be, then you will fundamentally have to change the way you manage. And that is, that's really key. And, in fact, could you tell me exactly how, in your opinion, can a manager support everyday progress for employees? There are a number of things that managers can do. Uh, uh, let me, first of all, give you a concrete example of what I mean by by a small win, a small step forward, the kind of seemingly insignificant thing that can make a big difference for inner work life. One of the companies that we studied was an information technology company. And there was a programmer in that company who'd been, he was. this was a high-level person. He was doing some complicated software programming. He was creating something for a client. And there was a bug in this in this code that he was writing and he was trying to he was trying to solve it and he was having some trouble with it the day that he solved that bug the day that he fixed that bug he said in his diary i smashed that software bug that's been frustrating me for almost a calendar week that mm-hmm. may not be an event to you but i live a very drab life so i'm all hyped and and then he he, he later talked about he used the phrase i'm rejoicing I'm rejoicing. I mean, this was no big deal, right? This was just a bug in a program. In the grand scheme of this project, certainly in his career, it wasn't a big deal, but it was a big deal to him on the day that it happened. So my my sense of call center agents' day-by-day work is that, you know, they might say they lead a pretty drab life. Mm-hmm. If If a supervisor, if a manager can do something that will make it, even a bit more likely that those agents will be able to experience progress 
in their day-to-day work, they can do a lot to leverage the progress principle. So, for example, if an agent is able to, on the first call, solve that customer's problem, Mm -hmm. um, even if it's a small issue, that will give that agent a sense of satisfaction. That will give them that sense of a small win. Right, right. How can a manager make that more likely? For one thing, making sure that that agent has the training, the information, the tools, the access to the knowledge management tools that will allow them to have that information at their fingertips so mm-hmm. that they can they can really adeptly solve that customer's problem on the first try. Another right. another common problem for agents is that their equipment fails. That you know there are glitches in their in their in their system that keep them from being able to take calls or keep them from being able to access the information that they know is there and they know how to access it, but they just can't get there because because their system's going down or it's freezing up or it's too slow. It may seem like meat and potato stuff, but that's the kind of stuff that managers have to pay attention to. You have to sweat the small stuff that can get in the way of people making those steps forward. Right, right. Okay. And and you talk about things called catalysts and mm. uh, that there are uh, managers can perhaps use these catalysts in terms of uh, uh, helping people toward these small wins. Exactly. So it's the kind of thing that, that I was just, Mentioning, we call them catalysts because they can really catalyze progress forward. We identified seven, which we talk about in our in our book, The Progress Principle. Uh, let me just mention a few of them to give you a, a flavor of them. First of all, people need to have clear goals on meaningful work, so they need to know you know why they're doing what they're doing. You know, maybe maybe most managers and call centers think, well, it's obvious. People know what they're doing. They're they're um, they're solving customer problems, they're giving customers information they, they need, or they're gathering information from customers, or maybe they're trying to make a sale. Those goals are clear, sure. But do you actually spend time talking to the agents? Do you make sure that they understand what purpose their their responses are serving when they talk mm-hmm. to that customer? You know, maybe you know, maybe they're 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 providing a service that the customer values. You know, maybe they're going to make a difference in that customer's life today by by giving her or him some information that they need to um, take care of the health of their child, for example, or to manage their family finances. If they can keep that meaning top of mind, that will make them more motivated when they're when they're able to to get something done in their work. And do they have clear goals? Do they know what the goal is? Do they know that the goal is to perhaps make sure that the call gets to the the expert inside the company who has that specific information. Maybe the goal is to resolve the problem itself on the initial call. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the goal is to do something else. But do they have those clear goals? Do they know what they're working toward? And another catalyst is autonomy. Does Does the agent have sufficient autonomy in making decisions about how to deal with with problems that come up? You want to give them as much autonomy as they can, given their given their skill level, given their knowledge base, because that will make them feel more engaged in the work too. That will catalyze their progress forward. Also, you want to make sure that they have access to the expertise that they need so they can get help if there are difficult problems 
that they're dealing with. You want to make sure that there are mechanisms whereby people can learn from mistakes they've made rather than just feeling that they're going to get called out for a mistake. You know, is there a way for them to learn and to get better from yep. from those mistakes? All of those are catalysts, and there are several more catalysts that we talk about in the book. Those are the kinds of things. It's just really management 101, Bruce, but there, yep. there are things that that supervisors, managers can forget if they're not mm-hmm. really paying attention to them every day. No, it's good to uh, bring these up because uh, this show is known for providing listeners with really useful takeaways that they can actually apply in their centers. And uh, so one thing I'd like to drill down on further, uh, I'd I'd also like, before we turn to questions that are coming into Brian, and I'll remind everyone that you can send your questions now to brian at benchmarkportal.com or call 347-857-3117. And I'd like to uh, welcome, uh, we've got people calling in from all over, or or people uh, tuning in from all over, including uh, Toronto, Kansas, Minneapolis, other places. So a quick shout-out to you. But but let's take the clear goals catalyst or the help with difficult work catalyst for a second. Now, these are things that are at the core of communications between managers and agents every day in a call center through both formal and informal coaching. And it, it seems to me that if you approach these interactions whenever possible, with the progress principle approach in mind, uh, for example, let me as a manager describe the goals or explain the difficult work in a way that will engage the agent and, and will result in their sense of discovery and their sense of progress you know, on the part of the agent. Uh, and, and then as managers, if we take a few seconds at the end of the interaction to what I call seal the deal emotionally with the employees, uh, as you see that look of discovery or understanding of, or triumph or progress pass over the employee's face, don't just walk away to your next encounter. Look into their eyes and say something like, does that make sense now? And uh, when you get an affirmative response, give them a big, bright smile and say, great, well done, or even great, we made some real progress today, thanks. Uh, say something that will sear that little bit of progress into their memory and be a satisfier for them that day. Um, I'd say, you know, as managers, we should set ourselves goals to do this with everyone who reports to us at least once during the course of of a week. And I need to do this, too. I mean, I've got to commit to this as well. Um, Teresa, are there any other techniques that you've seen that that, uh, bring the ideas from your book right down to the implementation level? Yes. Your example is a great one, Bruce. Another is, is to provide recognition. You know, recognition was not as a, as as major a motivator as as the making progress, but it goes hand in hand with it. When people receive recognition from a colleague, uh, even better from a boss, that has a huge positive impact on their motivation, their engagement in the work, and their ability to to do even better work in the future. So whether it's in private, saying you did a fabulous job today. You know, whether it was taking an extraordinary number of calls, whether it was an extraordinarily high level of quality for the past week or the past month in the work that they did, um, whether it was an attendance record, whatever, to to call that person out privately, even better if there's a team meeting to mention the great work that, that individuals have done, that makes a huge difference. You can't recognize people unless they are making progress, so it is important fundamentally to support that progress. But then when they've, when they've made it, 
to provide that recognition, to show them that they are valued, um, right. goes goes a long way. And it doesn't take more than, as you said, you know, a second at the end of at the end of an interaction, at the end of a meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, with that, uh, let's bring in Brian, who has some questions, I think, for us. I do. Uh, thanks, you guys, for uh, all the great discussion so far. And uh, I wanted to give one of our uh, listeners some credit. Sandra just emailed me, and that was going to be my first question, and it was about recognition. So uh, her direct question, and then uh, Teresa and Bruce, if you guys would like to add anything, uh, feel free. And uh, She says, I can see that steady progress is important for people to stay happy and motivated at work, but what about recognition? And is there anything you'd like to add on that, or did we pretty much answer that question? Actually, let let me just say that recognition, when it came from somebody who who mattered to the individual, um, made them as happy as anything. Um, Sandra's absolutely right. It is a huge um, boost to inner work life. Uh, But there are other things that that make people feel great because, like recognition, they nourish the human connection that everyone needs. And I think that's fundamentally why recognition is so important. Um, one another, we we call these nourishers because they do they do nourish the human spirit. Another key nourisher is is camaraderie. If you give the employees in your co in your call center opportunities to bond with each other, to develop mutual trust and enjoyment, that too can go a long way toward boosting inner work life. And I, I know some managers who are very savvy at doing this and uh, who genuinely enjoy doing this. From time to time, giving giving agents the opportunity to, you know, have some downtime together, have have some enjoyment uh, together after work or, or during their breaks, to have to have a little something special going on, to have a pizza party now and then, something that's really, you know, in the grand scheme of things, trivial financially can make a big difference to people in getting to know each other and feeling that trust and that bonding, that camaraderie. Um, that's important for inner work life, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very good. Do we have any, okay. another question, Brian? Yes, we do. Uh, and I do want to recognize, as you did, Bruce, all of the uh, listeners that have either called in or listening from our website. Thank you so much. And, and as Bruce also mentioned, we have uh, listeners from around the country. So all you have to do uh, if you'd like to ask uh, a live question is just hit the number one on your phone and we'll be sure to get you in as uh, we really want to encourage some involvement from our listeners. So uh, please do that if you're listening. And if you're shy, I understand email is another great way to go. And uh, I've got a couple questions uh, already, but brian at benchmarkportal.com is where you can send those questions. And we've got about 10 or so minutes left in the show. So uh, if you can't, do it now. So anyway, this one comes from Brad. And uh, we've talked a lot about recognition and kind of a positive uh, aspect, but uh, this one is, is there any downside to all of this? Uh, yeah, there, there's actually a big downside to the progress principle, and that is uh, of, of all of the events that happen at work that can make for a terrible work day, the single most prominent by far is actually the opposite of progress it's experiencing setbacks in the work. And, and what I mean by a setback is, is anything that makes you feel like you're blocked in your work, you're stalled, um, maybe even that you're moving backward in what you're trying to do. You know, An example is what we were talking about before, where you're the agent sitting there, you've got a caller, you cannot answer that caller's question because your system has just gone down, right? Um, that, that kind of setback... Uh, 
can really undermine inner work life. And unfortunately, negative events like that have more powerful psychological effects than positive events. Mm -hmm. So we found, for example, that the effect of a setback, the negative effect of a setback on emotions is two to three times more powerful than the positive effect of a progress event. So the implication here is, yeah, it's great that small wins can have such a positive impact on inner work life because they're more likely than huge breakthroughs, but the small losses are something that you really need to watch out for because they can have a negative effect that's even worse. It means that what you need to do as a supervisor is to clear away those daily hassles to get in the way. Find out what those daily hassles are. What's getting in the way of people being able to be even more productive, more effective in their work? And clear clear that away like underbrush and keep paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I think that's a great point there. And any of us who are parents know that uh, sometimes the negative is listened to or felt much more than the positive. Um, also in our kids, and uh, you know, we're we're all, I think, in the same boat on that. Um, and, and that's also another reason why when there is a positive win, as managers, if we can steer that into the minds of our people uh, through uh, that little extra time, smile, whatever it happens to be, a comment, then it can maybe put a little bit of a multiplier on the positive side. Okay. Uh, Brian, do we have another question? Yeah, we've got about, let's see, 10 minutes left in the show. I've got one more question, but if you don't mind, uh, Teresa, I'd like to ask you one that I came up with. And uh, uh, the question is uh, dealing with managers that might be a little nervous about either training or motivating their agents or their employees so much as that they end up taking their role. How could someone that position a good manager still? I'm I'm sorry, Brian. You're, uh, the last sentence you said there just cut out a little bit. Could you repeat that? Sure. Uh, how would you coach a manager if that manager was nervous about giving too much incentive or motivation to his or her employees and that they're afraid of losing their job to one of their employees? Oh, wow. So so that's, that's actually a very tricky issue. Mm-hmm. I I believe firmly what what Peter Drucker always said, which is that you should you should be focused on on trying to find the absolute best people that you can. Um, you're going to do better in your job if you go for 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 the best workers possible. Ultimately, you should you should want to surround yourself by people who are who are smart and capable, and you want to help them get smarter and and more capable in their work, um, because because that will make you look better as a manager. So I, I know that there's an insecurity. You know, am I going to replace myself if I help people do a better job? But I've seen it happen time and time again that managers actually excel, that their own careers move forward to the extent that they develop the people who are working under them. So, you know, that's that's how I would coach a manager and and ask him or her to be to be secure in their own skills and mm-hmm. and work with their managers to make sure that they're developing their skills at the same time that they're developing their subordinates. Uh, thank you. Yeah, in this tough market, uh, job market, I fear there might be some people out there that have that uh, that questions, and that's well answered. So thank you for that. And then um, the final one coming in from one of our listeners, this is from Dan. Dan is asking, uh, do you have a practical suggestion 
for how a busy manager or supervisor can start applying the progress principle. Yes, yeah. Uh, It is something that you think, oh, my gosh, I don't have time to do anything else. So we have a checklist that literally takes just a couple of minutes a day. We have this checklist in in our book um, that we call a daily progress checklist. And it's very simple. It just means if you're a manager, at the end of the day, spend just just three, five minutes thinking about whether your people, your direct reports, made progress that day on their most important work. If they experienced setbacks, what were those setbacks and what caused them? Look at the catalysts, and we've, we've got them listed. Look at the inhibitors and just check off which ones were prominent today. Mm-hmm. And then think about tomorrow. What one thing, what one thing can I as a manager do tomorrow to try to clear away one of those inhibitors that was getting mm-hmm. in the way of people making progress? Uh, it doesn't take a lot of time. And we've worked with managers over the past year since the book came out. And we know that there are people who are using that, that daily progress checklist and who say it has made a difference for them and for the people working for them. Mm. For one thing, it makes them all more aware of the progress that they're making, which does provide that boost that, that, that Bruce was talking about before. And for another, it allows managers to stay keyed in to those everyday hassles that can get in the way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, you know, these are uh, great insights that uh, that you've been sharing with us. And the uh, checklist is just a great idea, very, very practical. It can be used by... Uh, people who are listening, and also to those who will be listening to the archive show later on. So I'd like to thank you, Teresa, and to our listeners. Uh, And I'd also like to invite any of our listeners who think they might be interested in participating in inner work life research going forward to please contact me, uh, Bruce Belfiore at BenchmarkPortal.com or Brian at BenchmarkPortal.com. Let us know of your interest. And uh, there's some really exciting things that are going to be happening in this area going forward, and, um, you know, we would really welcome your participation. So with that, I'd like to to thank Teresa and our listeners. And, um, uh, Teresa, is there anything that you wanted to say before we hand things back over to Brian? You know, Bruce, I did want to mention that we have a version of this, this checklist on our Progress Principle website. So if your listeners wanted to go there, they could uh, they could download uh, a version of this, this daily Progress Checklist. And it's just progressprinciple.com, P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S-P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E.com. And, and uh, you know, you're welcome to go there and, and do it, and uh, hopefully it will be useful to you. And it's just been great talking with you, Bruce, and, and with your listeners. Well, this has been great. Uh, thank you very much. And, Brian, let's see if we can uh, discover a way of linking to that uh, checklist for people who come to the archive show. Uh, so we can talk about that later. Great. Well, thanks again, and, and over to you, Brian. Sounds good. I'll be happy to do that. If you're listening in one of our archive shows, uh, hopefully you'll see that link up there right now. Otherwise, if you're listening live, just give me about an hour and we'll put that link up there for you to the checklist. But I do want to once again uh, thank Dr. Teresa Amabile and Bruce Belfiore for the insightful discussion on the show today. We went over a lot of topics and I think it's uh, hopefully very powerful for uh, managers out there regardless of your industry. It's some very good insight. And feel free to listen to this once again to make sure you got it all. But join us next time. Call Talk. 15th when we'll talk technology 
And the title of the show is Eliminating Your Customer Service Blind Spot with Cobrow's Technology. That'll be with Dusty Sanford. He's a live look with over 25 years of experience in the tech industry. So join us August 15th. Don't forget to sign up for your free reality check benchmark report to see how you compare to others in the industry. And for all of us here at Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. Have a nice day. Take care.